On Monday, October 17th, President Joe Biden submitted, in accordance with 50 U.S.C. 3043, the 2022 National Security Strategy to Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Now, some of what's in this document that I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to highlight some some things from it. Some of it reads like it's the Communist Manifesto that Karl Marx read. It's almost talking points for how to take control of things. And it's concerning, and we need to talk about it. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Welcome, Bold Americans. Let's get right into it today. We are talking about the national security strategy that was just delivered by the president. And reading through this document, I'm going to highlight some things for you. It's broken into about uh, five parts. All right. Part one is talking about the competition for what comes next. Part two is called investing in our strength. Part three is our global priorities. There's some very interesting things in there. Part four is our strategy by region. And part five is the conclusion. Now, in each of these parts, there, there's something to kind of a takeaway. And I'm going to start with part one. And part one was called the competition for what comes next. And it starts with a little uh, preamble from President Joe Biden that states, the world is changing. We're at a significant inflection point in world history. And our country and the world, the United States of America, has always been able to chart the future in times of great change. We've been able to constantly renew ourselves, and time and time again, we've proven there's not a single thing we cannot do as a nation when we do it together. And I mean that, not a single solitary thing. So this document starts off chapter one with these words. And where does it go from there? Well, we're going to try to give some takeaways in this chapter for one. I want to break it down, and then we'll get into why I believe that part of this is uh, not good for our freedom locally here in a domestic term. All right, so the enduring vision, enduring role, nature of competition between democracy and autocracies, cooperating to address shared challenges in the era of competition, an overview of the strategic approach is all what happens in the very first part of this document. And so they talk about how they're in a decisive decade due to things such as climate change, and shared threats. And later on, we come to know that some of those shared threats are identified as Russia and destabilizing things. Uh, It talks about how there's territorial integrity, uh, political independence needs to be respected uh, throughout the world. Uh, International institutions need to be strengthened. Countries should be free to determine their own foreign policy choices. Uh, Information should be allowed to flow freely. The universal human rights must be upheld. The global economy has to operate on a level playing field to provide opportunity for all. Now, these are all words that you would see in almost every national security strategy, even dating back to when President Obama put in his 2017 last uh, strategy that people would read. But there's a marked difference between this strategy and where Joe Biden's goes, and I'm going to explain where. Back when Obama was in office, he would say that Russia has the right to grow, that China uh, was respected for trying to become a larger power. That's not the case here in part of the enduring role of what's being talked about. Uh, What 
Joe Biden sees is that Russia is a threat and China needs to be watched. And this comes out pretty easily through the document if you want to read it. Now, the link is in the description to this podcast today, so you can read through. Uh, it talks about how the United States is a large and diverse democracy that has people from every corner of the world all within to create our system of belief, which means the politics are not smooth in the United States. It talks about the polarization of politics, that we're living in a moment of passionate intensity of politics, uh, where it, sometimes it's tearing at the fabric of the nation. But it also says that they don't use that as an excuse to retreat from the wider world. Now, this part of politics here is what I'm going to get into when I talk about the Communist Manifesto later and what they are doing to monitor American citizens and where I think that uh, my eyes were opened in this document. It talks about knowing that the other countries, the rivals' challenges are profound and mounting. And it says that there are problems both in the United States and abroad. So it's acknowledging there's problems with citizens here in the United States. Which citizens are they talking about? We're going to get into that today as well as which countries. We're going to talk about that as well. And it talks about how there's been uh, prophecies of American decline that continue to be disproven in the past and why it's never a good idea to bet against America, that America will have a vision to succeed into the future and to outcompete our rivals. And so that's where he goes into this next section of the competition between democracies and autocracies. Uh, it talks about how we are supposed to be this free, open, prosperous, and secure uh, country and providing that for the world and making it broad and powerful with our allies in Europe as well as the Indo-Pacific. Uh, it talks about the democratic partners we have throughout the wor world. It's in you say that America wants to support universal human rights, uh, standing beyond our shores, leaving our country. But it says that the most uh, pressing challenges of the authoritarian governance with a revisionist foreign policy saying that they are a challenge to international peace and stability and goes on to specifically state that this is Russia and the People's Republic of China, that they do not believe in uh, upholding the behaviors that America wants to see. And so, as a result, they talk about how they are a threat to the free and open international system. Now, this is where I begin to uh, panic a bit, reading page 8, because now it shows that, hey, this war in the Ukraine, we are declaring that Russia and the People's Republic of China is a threat to the order and operations of the rest of the world. Now, that sounds a lot like fighting world, words in the course of world war and thinking about what's coming next. So he continues on, uh, or the administration continues on, uh, to come up with ways that they're going to deal with the PRC's assertive behavior that has caused countries like Ukraine and others to push back. It talks about the common interest that the United States has with some of these countries based on climate, economics, and public health. And that's going to come back into this later on. Um, but it continues to, to fight back on Russia and the aggression in the Ukraine, as well as China. And I've been trying to tell people, China and Russia, 
They're the two countries to watch out for, and our country knows it as well. It's not so much watch out for as much as that's where the political tension for world war is coming from. And China is a big part of that. Now, it continues to blame Russia as a weaponization of oil and gas supplies with OPEC's management of its own supply. Joe Biden, are you going to talk anything about how you did quid pro Joe and went over the Saudi Arabia and said, hey, can we just get you to stop this this oil problem that I have until after the midterms? That is scandalous. There should be possible impeachment uh, based on that, but no one's going to talk about that. You know, no, no one's going to bring that up, I guess. But you can see they're laying that groundwork to change what people are believing and the narrative that people are believing. Now, this is part of the Communist Manifesto. The Communist Manifesto says, you know, you need to take uh, control of the dialogue uh, to make sure that people understand where you're coming from. And so when Karl Marx started running this in the 19th century, um, the idea was to try to help people go, we're going to get rid of the class struggles. It's going to be uh, revolutionary, this reconstruction of society to make sure that everybody has this equal opportunity uh, and everybody will get along. Everybody will be great. It's going to be part of this revolution that's coming down. Now, when we start all saying, well, these are the enemies, these are our common enemies, this is what needs to happen. Here's what's going to go. Well, that's where I start to say, hmm, let's take us a pause for just a quick moment and read what else they're trying to get at, stating we must work with other nations to address these shared challenges, a.k.a. Russia and China, to improve the lives of the American people and the people around the world. We recognize that will take such effort within a competitive environment where major powers will be actively working to advance a different vision. That's right, a different vision. We'll use the impulses released by an era of competition to create a race to the top and make progress on shared challenges. Don't you think that China sees themselves as also having a race to the top right now and that Putin doesn't want that as well? And so it continues on in part one, overview of strategic approach to continue the free, open, prosperous, and secure international order. Uh, and to give people their basic universal rights and freedoms, their rights and freedoms. Well, what are the rights and freedoms that we can expect? Because that's never um, put out there. It does state that it should raise people that are secure in that they're free from aggression, coercion, and intimidation, which sounds an awful lot like the pandemic aggression, coercion, and intimidation. Aggression when people said, you know what, if uh, you don't get vaccinated, then I hope you die in a hospital. Or if you don't get vaccinated, I don't think the doctor should have to treat you. Coercion, which sounded awful like, if you don't go get this jab, then you cannot have your job anymore. And that also sounded a lot like intimidation, where you challenge people's intellectual part for their freedom of choice. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned that the same administration that was all about this uh, is the same administration that's saying they're going to uphold our rights with NATO and the Indo-Pacific in order to secure those partnerships. And so that document continues on and we get the part two, investing in our strength. So what is our strength in America in order to have national security into the future? And so believe it or not, one of our strengths is that how we handled COVID all the way to climate 
And Joe Biden pointed that out in one of his speeches to build a better future for this planet, having people that understand what it needs to uh, happen uh, in human dignity, human rights, not going at it alone, but using our allies to fight for these health parts, fight for the climate change, fight for all these things that are affecting the world. Now, that sounds like good talking points across the board, uh, right, to, to have health globally, uh, to be well. But is that what we have seen? Is that what's really happening? Well, this is concerning, too, because politics, we now know, are involved in the CDC. It seems that Donald Trump was threatening, his administration was threatening the CDC in order to talk a certain way or else they would bypass the CDC completely. And so this brings great questions to whether our uh, government health officials have been free or they've been coerced in order to say certain things. And what are they being coerced even under a Biden administration as well? So in the second part, uh, they talk about in 2022, they enacted the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act, people are asking, what is it doing to reduce inflation right now? Jack crap. That's what it's doing. It's not reducing inflation whatsoever. It's a fraudulent bill. All it's going to do is reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. And I guarantee when they do that, that's going to hurt us as well. It's going to make things more expensive. Uh, and then they talk about investing in our own people, the importance of STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics for women and girls, specifically women and girls. I found that to be kind of an interesting language to put in there as well. Uh, talks about strengthening our democracy. Now, uh, as Americans, it states, we must all agree that the people's verdict as expressed in elections must be respected and protected. We also believe the critical reforms continue to be, need to be strengthened of our system of governance. This is why we've taken executive action and urged essential legislation to protect and promote voting rights and expand democratic participation. And why we're building on the work of generations of activists to advance equity and root out systemic disparities in our laws, policies, institutions. This is all a very loaded paragraph because the conversation around a free and secure election differs whether you're a Republican or a Democrat in this country and how well you believe the two sides are protecting that. It goes on to talk about we're staying up the threats to our democracy, such as domestic terrorism, by implementing our nation's first ever national strategy for countering domestic terrorism and tackling heads on global forces like weaponized corruption, information manipulation operations, political interference and attacks on the rule of law, including in elections. This is where communism begins right here in this statement. There is no free speech, free press. There is no core civil liberties in a government that weaponizes itself against the people through the words of countering domestic terrorism when it's simply people asking questions about election data, asking questions about the science of trust the science, asking questions about the rule of law and the double standards that people saw in this country over the past decade. 
It talks about how America will not interfere with foreign, uh, will not tolerate interference from foreign uh, entities in our elections. Well, that's good. Um, and deterring uh, the disruptions to our democratic process. I'm fine with that as well. But we're going to get to why this is a threat to our freedom in just a quick moment. But we got to take a break and I'm going to get to this section here where the word should concern everybody. So you're going to want to hear that. It's coming right up after the break. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are continuing on with talking about the National Security Strategy 2022 that was put on Nancy Pelosi's desk on October 17th. And uh, here's where things start to get interesting. You probably heard me say that they are establishing right before the break a national strategy for countering domestic terrorism to tackle head-on global forces like weaponized corruption, information, manipulation. In a world where no one can actually define what is disinformation, malinformation, and misinformation, this is dangerous. What type of list are people going to wind up on because of this type of uh, document? Now, they call individuals that are spreading 
this type of information as domestic violent extremist. Let me repeat that in the document. It calls, if you're in this category of disinformation, that you could be labeled as a domestic violent extremist. I'm sorry. So if I simply want to have an episode where I was told last week that I was spreading misinformation, and I was dangerous because I interviewed people about the research and clinical trials. All right. And when I say this, I, I had two people total that said this to me and they're both completely on the progressive left side. No one else was saying this to me. Um, if, if I were to say, you know what? The vaccine did not have studies done on it about stopping transmission. If one side feels that that's misinformation, despite the fact that I have the facts on my side, I did have the facts on my side. I can be labeled a domestic violent extremist. This is heavily, heavily concerning. And so now they're trying to get more information at the state, local, territorial level, according to this document. And they're doing this through smartphone-based applications to do so in real time. In the paragraph that I want to point out to you, if you go to page 31 of the National Security Strategy, all right, this is now we are moving on. All right. We, we were in part two. Um, we're now in part three of our global priorities. Now, global priorities, before we even got here, they talk all about outcompeting China and constraining Russia, which I think that, you know, they have about five pages that could lead us to World War Three. I'm also going to talk about food insecurity. So I need to remind myself to go back. But right now I got to talk about how we are leading ourselves down the communism with this paragraph. And I apologize, but I need to read it to you. It's on page 31 for those that aren't going to go. I, I just want you to know exactly what it states. We face an increased and significant threat within the United States from a range of domestic violent extremists, including those motivated by racial or ethnic prejudice, as well as anti-government or anti-authority sentiments. Continuing to implement our first-ever national strategy for countering domestic terrorism will enable us to better understand and share information regarding the domestic terrorist threat, prevent recruitment and mobilization of violence, and disrupt and deter domestic terrorist activity and any transnational linkages, all while reinforcing respect for civil rights and civil liberties. What a frickin' joke. You cannot investigate your citizens. I'm going to continue on in a second, but you cannot investigate your citizens this way and expect that you can reinforce respect for civil rights and civil liberties. That's not congruent. This is a communist regime right here in what they are doing. That's the only way that you can label this. Our first ever national strategy, the national system, nationalization of domestic terrorism strike force, basically. All right, let, let's continue into that part. Let's continue down that road. So part of this is as well as anti-government or anti-authority sentiment. Am I anti-government? My show is critical of our government, both sides, Republicans and Democrats. I love my country. So I'm my love for my country and my criticism could be deemed anti-government, which would put me as, according to this, a range of domestic violent extremists simply for having this show. This is BS, an anti-authority sentiment. Let me tell you what the founding fathers thought about anti-authority sentiment. It's written in our constitution that they supported it. 
They supported anti-authority to make sure that the people ran the country, not the government. The government was to serve the people, not the people to serve the government's whims. This is a gross overreach of government, and this is absolutely, uh, I don't even have the word for it right now. It's disgusting where we are going. It's also disgusting that I'm going to have people listen to this podcast and say that I don't know what I'm talking about, that I'm some crazy person on the right, when I'm not. I'm not a crazy person on the right. I don't even identify myself as somebody who leans on the right. I consider myself a libertarian independent. Ah, man. But this whole idea of we're reinforcing civil rights and civil liberties, I'm sorry, but uh, excuse me, uh, where um, are we reinforcing this? Um, now, if we want to talk about those that are motivated by racial or ethnic prejudice, I'm all for racial and ethnic prejudice and rooting it out and making sure there's not a place for hatred to cause violence against somebody simply because of part of their civil rights and civil liberties there. But if I want to ask questions, if I want to question authority, that is my first amendment right to do so publicly through this podcast and have that conversation. I'm not calling for violence. Anyone who knows me knows that there would be no part of me to label me a violent extremist. I'm just asking questions. And apparently questions according to Joe Biden and the national security strategy are not allowed to be asked and people better wake the F up before you're in big time trouble because all of a sudden the thought police can tell you what to believe. And I'm sorry for uh, abbreviating a curse word. I try to keep my show clean, but that's really how I feel. Now, the second part of this, pay attention to these words. I'm going to read again. Already we are providing more and better information on domestic violent extremist threats, the state, local, territorial, and tribal partners, and using new mechanisms such as smartphone-based applications to do so in real time. <laughs> so your smartphone that you have, your government states that already they are getting information about you through these. Where do you think they're getting that information? Facebook, Instagram, which companies are selling off your private information to have a conversation, your right to talk freely about things. Now, I'm not saying you have the right to threaten people and use these services that way, but these are privatized on Wall Street systems. I don't know that it's Facebook that's doing this. I don't know that maybe they just have a deal with Apple, Android, you know, the Samsung dealers that just put this on there. What I do know is they are telling you in black and white on page 31 of the national security strategy that yes, you are being monitored by your phone. If I knew which companies were monitoring your data and possibly labeling you as an extremist threat to the Joe Biden administration, I would list them. I would list them to you so that way you could delete them. I would make you aware of them so that way you can delete your investments into them. I'm going to continue on with what it says. It says, we are investing millions of dollars in data-driven violence prevention efforts, including through grant programs available to federal, state, territorial, tribal, and nonprofit partners, as well as to houses of worship as they face increased threats. Data-driven violence prevention efforts and giving money to a lot of different places, including houses of worship, 
this is getting really interesting to me. Separation of church and state, but yet we're putting that in there. It continues on, we are working with like-minded government, civil society, and the technology sector to address terrorist and violent extremist content online, including through innovative research collaborations. Interesting. Now, see, there it is. They're telling you they are working with the technology sector, right? You want to know why you couldn't hear about Hunter Biden and what was on his laptop originally? It's because the FBI, the government is working with the FBI or working with the technology sector in order to make sure that they can control the information that's out there. But guess what? They're also going to control what you're allowed to say. We can see this with PayPal right now, the $2,500 fine for misinformation, which, by the way, is back on the table in case you didn't know that. Um, they said that they were removing the language, but now there's some other hidden language in there, and I may do a show on that. But this is huge. And so it continues on, we are confronting the long-term contributors to domestic violent extremist threats, including working with Congress to advance common sense gun laws and policies and addressing the crisis of disinformation and misinformation, often channeled through social and other media platforms, aka podcasts like myself, that's I'm sure what they're getting at, that can fuel extreme polarization and lead some individuals to violence. My show does not aim for extreme polarization, nor does it aim for anybody to take any violent acts. It aims for peaceful solutions on how people can talk. And in all that, um, the crisis of disinformation shouldn't be a crisis. It shouldn't be a crisis whatsoever. Now, those that spread willful misinformation, willful disinformation, can we have a conversation about what is that? Because when I'm showing facts... And people just refuse to listen to the facts and they want to say, oh, I don't agree with that. That's not misinformation or disinformation. That's ignorance. That's your own ignorance because you're aligned to a political party or you're aligned to a government talking point that doesn't mean that it's right. See, here's the thing. As citizens, we are allowed to be critical of what the government says to us here in the United States. That is our constitutionally protected right. We don't live in Russia where you can't criticize your government without fear of going to jail. We live in the United States of America. We live in the United States of America where if we hear information, we can pass it along to somebody else. And if we learn that it's wrong later on, we can correct it. But we don't go to jail because we were wrong when we first spread the information to somebody else. But that's exactly what the national security strategy is looking to do. It's looking to create a class of citizens that is silenced and beaten down so you do not have your First Amendment rights. And so I know I said you better wake up and you better wake up really quick and you better start demanding better. And the only thing I can think about in all this is we need to elect officials that make it very clear where they stand on big tech monitoring our citizens and where our military falls within that. We need to demand a free society. We almost need like a terms of agreement of what we're getting involved in because it's BS that the government can just do these things behind your back with privately traded companies and these companies are making money both ways. This is complete crap. I'm actually excited now for Elon Musk buying Twitter. Not so much because I trust Elon Musk, because I don't, but I'm excited because, you know what, at least he can tell the government to go, you know, jump off a short pier if he disagrees with what they're asking for. He could say, you know what, I disagree with what you're stating here. So that's in part three. And this is this is part of the communist playbook to weaponize right against the citizens, those that disagree with you to erasure 
of the dialogue, erasure of an alternative viewpoint until all that's left is your own and you have good citizens that are going to listen and go along. Now, I don't think that anything that I'm stating is uh, too crazy or out there. What I'm trying to tell you is we're not going to have any type of freedom in this country of democracy. We are in fascism, authoritarianism, really fascism probably first. And this is under Joe Biden. All those people that were worried about Donald Trump having this fascist regime, this dictator, he wanted to have this, you know, fascism go with Democrats too. And I'm seeing it right now in this document. Uh, This is disgusting. Now, how are they going to also do this? They're going to secure cyberspace. And they're already doing this right now. They're working with Google. They're working to bring in the information. Uh, to make sure that certain things appear at the top of the page, that you don't have access to all the information. It's going to be important to fund our libraries and to get people to libraries in the future to make sure that we still have encyclopedias. Don't let them burn all those encyclopedias. Don't let them get rid of all that information that's printed in books because we are going to need them because cyberspace is not going to be open the way that it should be. So now they are strengthening the norms that mitigate cyber threats and enhancing the stability in cyberspace. They're saying that they want to deter cyber attacks from state and non-state actors. These are all great things to keep the internet open, right? But what does that really mean in securing cyberspace beyond the critical infrastructure? What about the individuals that are trying to pass along information the government doesn't want you to know? Do you think that there's information the government doesn't want you to know? Maybe that we need to start at a more uh, level-headed conversation. So this is me asking you, no matter what political sway you may be, do you believe that the government is hiding information from the American people? Just answer that question. If the answer is yes, the government is hiding information, then why should you have trust that the government isn't trying to take away more things from you through this document. And like I said, this is a complete different type of document than what we saw with Obama in 2017. This is an about face for the um, Democratic Party. All right. It also contains uh, a little bit more. Eventually goes strategies by uh, region, uh, promoting uh, free areas with our alliances in Europe. But I want to back up now to the language that we used in the part before all of this about Russia and China and what that meant for us. That was in the global priorities. Uh, In the global priorities uh, section, it talks about out-competing China and constraining Russia. Do you think China and Russia are going to like that language that we just published on the whitehouse.gov page? And I know what you're thinking. I don't care if they care. Look, this is a big planet. There's enough of this planet to go around for everybody. There's enough for us to play nice with everybody. I can tell you, China wants to get bigger. The United States is trying to go to a race to the top. This is not going to end well because this is not probably the best way to go about things. That's stated, I'm not good at analyzing the geopolitical side of war when it comes to what should we do outside of race to the top. What I do know is that we are going to have a shared challenge moving forward. Now, they use COVID-19 in this document to see how we worked with Beijing 
on COVID-19 and investigating into its origins. Did we work with them or did we collaborate with them in order to uh, shut down the story about whether or not it was in a lab? Is that misinformation? Because it's funny because the stories are now coming out in the, uh, the research studies in like the Lancet that it looks like it was created in a lab. It talks about pandemics and biodefense, that 6.5 million people around the world died from COVID-19, uh, which was 1 million Americans. It talks about how the next pandemic could be much worse, uh, as contagious, but more lethal, and how they have a narrow window of opportunity to take steps in order to prepare. You know, that's fine. Let's prepare our biodefense is what they said. But in that statement, are they telling us that it is a bioweapon that we need to uh, make sure that we have uh, a biodefense? Well, it sounds like our labs are working on stuff as well as labs around the country, including in the Ukraine. We see this. So this is uh, also important that we talk about. And then finally, the last thing I want to highlight here in this document is the food insecurity. It talks about uh, how Russia invasion of the Ukraine has created global food insecurity. Um, It threatens to push 75 to 95 million people into extreme poverty uh, than before the pandemic. Right. And the food insecurity crisis says that it's due to the aggressions in the Ukraine, which took much of Ukraine's grain off the market and exacerbated an already worsening global food insecurity problem. To address the needs of the hundreds of millions of people now suffering as a result, the United States is providing more humanitarian assistance than ever before. Remain the largest contributor to the World Food Program and the leading donor in nearly every country experiencing humanitarian food crisis. <sighs> All right. Food insecurities. I guarantee you. If we continue to fight it abroad, food insecurities are going to come to the United States. And then they get into arms control, nuclear, chemical, biological weapons, all good stuff. I support everything. Terrorism, support everything they say in there up until when they get into domestic terrorism. I think they go a little too far. And this is the last part that I thought was really crazy. I know I said I was getting into the last part. I'll just make this show go a little longer today. I think I'm over like the 37 minute mark, but let's continue on. Uh, I haven't done like a 45 minute show in forever, and I don't think I'm going to take long for this. Guess what they talk about in the final part four. They talk about all the different parts of the country, all the different parts of the world and how to maintain things. But then it gets to this. Maintain a peaceful Arctic and protect sea, air and space. Now I'm going to have a guest on tomorrow. And I'm going to ask him a little bit about what he believes is going on in the Arctic because he's a he's a he's a really cool guest. I love his podcast. And we're also going to talk about sea, air, and space and why it's so important to protect this as well. Just recently, I read that um, the government in Russia wants to put advertising up in outer space with satellites. I'm just thinking about how that would ruin what we see at nighttime. Um, space exploration is important for us to understand. Uh, where we are in the cosmos. I think it's very important. Uh, And the Arctic is obviously very important as well, but I'm not sure anybody understands why Arctic investments and the scientific activities down there are so important or what is underneath the ice in the region. Why is the U.S. government and all the other governments down there um, trying to maintain unnecessary escalation? Um, It talks about how... uh, They want to deepen their cooperations with their allies and sustaining the Arctic Council and other Arctic institutions. But apparently there is a problem 
because of Russia's war in the Ukraine and the Arctic. And so that's something that I need to get more information about. Uh, it also talks about economic activity increasing in the Arctic. So they want to improve livelihoods there and an infrastructure, create a private sector with the United States in the Arctic. This is a new time period here in America uh, as part of the national security strategy. Uh, so the conclusion of all of this, they talk about everything that they want to do for the clear vision ahead, diplomatic relationships, the military, national strengths with allies, and getting through into the end of this decade the, to 2030. It says there's no time to waste. So if you get an opportunity, I highly recommend you read the Biden-Harris administration's national security strategy. Hopefully I highlighted a little bit for you. But the biggest thing for me is this misinformation, disinformation as a podcaster who tries to analyze and take away everything. Um, I believe that it's important that I can ask questions of my government. It's important that I can be skeptical of governments in general, peacefully, and ask those questions without being felt that I'm being monitored or labeled. Um, I'm the guy who brought you John Paul Mac Isaac, the, the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, an exclusive interview with major details in it. Does that mean that the government is following me around because I went against Joe Biden's son uh, in order to... <laughs> Uh, have uh, the exclusive story about the the laptop uh, when I simply just asked factual questions? Am I on some type of list now uh, regarding this? And I mean, I could do a whole other half hour today on the most recent information uh, regarding uh, Hunter Biden. Apparently, more information is coming up now. And so, uh, yeah, it, the, the, it's crazy. But the biggest part is the disinformation police, they're coming. They're coming for your money through PayPal and all these other services. And now you may not be able to fly someday because you're on some type of domestic terrorism list. We've got to stop the insanity. It starts with the midterm elections. Read carefully about who is fighting for your freedoms. Read carefully about who will get rid of this BS that's going on about disinformation, misinformation, and who will represent you well. There are going to be some Democrats that are going to be excellent choices in the local elections for you and national, as well as Republicans. There's also going to be some libertarians and independents that would be much better options than the Republicans or the Democrats. Educate yourself, be an informed voter when you go into the voting booth in just a few weeks. That's it for today's show. I know you had a lot to listen to. Hopefully this was worthwhile, my unpacking. I feel like the second half was better than the first half. Tomorrow, I cannot wait for you guys to get to hear from my guest. It's going to be a great show. I'll save that for tomorrow. And uh, everybody, have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.